0: Now, once again, in the book of Ephesians, we are addressing the subject of prayer, and uh, trust me, I convict my own heart. Whenever I touch on the subject of prayer, I always feel very uh, sheepish and weak and embarrassed when I think of my prayer life, so trust me, I'm not an expert on prayer when I, when I stand up here, um, but what I can do and what I usually do uh, not only on the subject of prayer, but every week is I, I look to the Bible and I am just trying to learn and grow and find some comfort and encouragement from the words of scripture and um, and, and I often do or I, I do every week you know it might shock you, but i 'm surprised every week when I learn something new like wow that 's really good, um, and, and this has meaning and purpose in my life i don 't know why I would not that i 'm skeptical of that, but um, this is a thought I, I, I've thought uh, many times, not just regarding sermons, but but ministry, but especially the, the sermon part of it is um, you know, when I came and stepped in the role of, a, of senior pastor um, about six years ago, I think now six and a half years ago um, I, it never dawned on me that I would be preaching pretty much hundreds of sermons and uh When you think about, like, preaching hundreds of sermons, you know, I don't know if you ever think, like, how does he not run out of material or something? Like, how does he not end up repeating himself? And I do end up repeating myself, of course. Um, But I think that, too. Like, man, (laughs) I I don't think of it like, you know, you're going to preach thousands of sermons in your life. How are you going to do that? Uh, I just come to the word of God. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) And uh, the Lord shows me something. I hope that's your experience, too. That's an awkward uh, set up, but only to, to say that when it comes to whether it's preaching, whether it's prayer, whether it's being a dad or a, a husband, I, I always feel sheepish <laughs> and embarrassed and awkward. Like, I'm not the expert on anything, but I'm always hoping that the Lord will, will do something. And um, the end of today's message, I think, is one of the more encouraging thoughts about that. Uh, now, we're really just going to introduce this prayer That Paul finally gets to at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, for this reason, in verse 14, and I hope you're in Ephesians 3 right now, um, but if you're not, you can turn there or on your handout, the the passage is there. But in Ephesians 3, one, remember that he also started, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. He starts a sentence there, that he doesn't finish, because he starts talking and preaching, basically. Um, And he doesn't really finish that sentence until verse 14. In other words, he's about to say, I'm praying for you Gentiles, but he starts talking about the gospel. In a way, he did that all the way back in chapter 1. Like, after giving the kind of a prelude and introduction um, about our uh, riches in Christ, He says, for this reason, in verse 15 uh, of Ephesians 1, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And he starts to talk about the things that he is praying for and wanting to happen in prayer. You could say it like this. um, Paul takes three chapters and teaches us theology because he's just thinking about praying for the Ephesians. And really, the, the prayer is simple. It's the same in, in chapter one as it is in chapter three. Really, he's fundamentally praying that the Ephesians would know God more and that that would fill them uh, with their purpose in life and their perspective on life. That's it. It just, I, I pray that they would know God more, it is the fundamental prayer, but then because he's thinking about thinking about God, he's thinking about the Ephesians knowing more about God, he just ends up in a sermon <laughs> for three chapters, all because he wanted the Ephesians to know the kinds of things that he prays for them. So half of the book of Ephesians really is just driven by this prayer, and I, I call this a discipler's prayer, and you probably don't remember, but way back when uh, I did preach on Ephesians 16, I called it discipleship prayer. And the idea is that Paul's priority is always to make disciples of Jesus Christ, but it even includes the way he prays and the priorities he has in his prayers for others. A disciple maker is not only teaching others about God, But he or she realizes that God is the one who grants the strength to know God. So he wants people to know God and he does all he can to preach the gospel and teach. But ultimately, you notice the book ends is I'm praying that God will give you the strength to really understand these things and that these things will make a difference in your life. And so we are talking about prayer, a prayer to know God and prayer that it would make a difference in our lives. Now, I know we tend to associate prayer with asking things from God or thanking God for things he's done for us. And and those are both vital, important aspects of prayer. But for Paul, praying to God means thinking about God. And this is a very important distinction. I'm making a kind of a A big point about this kind of discipleship prayer or a disciple's prayer for others, because this is what distinguishes us thinking about God when we pray. This is what distinguishes us from Buddhists who are meditating, or panicked high schoolers studying, you know, before a test, you know, calling out to God and anyone that will help them with their prayer, or fervent sports fans in the stands, praying that God is going to help their team win. What's the difference between all those kinds of prayer? Anyone can pray like that, talking to some deity or, or higher power out there and asking for stuff, but our prayers are different because we're thinking about God, because we know God personally. We're not just throwing something out there to whatever higher power might grant our wish, and so the knowledge of God is inseparable from our prayer life. That's what Paul shows us in his priorities here. He says, and I'm going to read the passage once more, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, maybe you've read that passage many times before, of course, in the the study of of Ephesians to preach it. I read it, you know, many, many times over, Greek and English and everything else, and even now, just reading that again, I mean, this is a big, 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 big prayer that keeps building, building, building. In a way, Paul's prayer is that you would know the unknowable and be filled by the infinite. That is what Paul is ultimately praying for, that you would know the unknowable. Right, he says that you would know <laughs> the love that surpasses knowledge, <laughs> that you'd know the unknowable, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Well, God is infinite. God is praying, or Paul is praying, that you'd have the strength to know the unknowable and be filled by the unfillable. We're going to work up to that again. We're going to kind of lay the groundwork this week and uh, and uh, and fill that out. Next week, and I know the kids are in here too because it's communion Sunday, and so I I tried to make that accessible um, today for you. But let's begin in verse 14. Paul begins his prayer with the glory of God the Father. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Of course, the the bowing the knees before the Father is is a sign of humility it's a sign of trust. It's a sign of dependence. The word family and the word father, actually, there's a word play going on. You don't quite see it in English, but the, the Greek word for father is pater, and we get words like paternal from that. The word for family is patria, which sounds similar because it comes from pater. And the idea is that a family... You know, that culture, and I think it's a biblical uh, model, is a family unit's headed by a father, and so a patria can mean family. And so if you wanted to be clunkier about it to make it capture the, the, the Greek phrasing, you could say, God is the father of every father and every father unit, i.e. their families. The mention of of heaven is either referring to the angelic realm, which we talked about last week, um, meaning that God is the creator of all the angels as well. He's their father in that sense. Or this is a way of saying that God is the father of all peoples, both those who have gone on before, they're in heaven, and those who are, of course, alive now on earth. I think that makes a little bit more sense because angels don't have families. And this seems to have more to do with the theme, of Jews and Gentiles. Remember, Paul is fixated on this thought. When he thinks about praying that you would know God, he's fixated on this thought that the gospel, that Jesus Christ has died for Jews and Gentiles. So I think it's more the idea that he's uniting all the families, Jews and Gentiles, under the, the father head of God. Now, interestingly, Jews didn't refer to God personally as our father or my father. They, they would have seen that as a little bit too familiar, right? It's a little bit too comfortable to talk about God like that. Now, they did believe that, of course, God is the God of the universe and that he is uh, Lord and sovereign of every living thing, but only Jewish people had that unique relationship with God Because God chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob out of all the nations and peoples of the world. And so they considered themselves, even if they didn't call God, you know, my father or our father, they would consider themselves in a way like the children of God, the family of God. And so they would speak of, you know, God being the father of Abraham, something like that. And, and God did often choose and change the names of his people. I know it mentions there that he, uh, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And that's really uh, a way of saying that, that God knows and identifies specifically, individually, everyone. <clears throat> but again, for, for Jewish people, that was a literal thing too. Remember Abram? became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah, Jacob became Israel, and so on. So God did oftentimes literally name, rename, when he called people to himself. So this might be somewhat of familiar terminology, but, but Paul is really flipping it on his head. He's saying something so much more because he's saying God isn't just the father of a few or, or just name a few. He's sovereign and Lord over all, Jews and Gentiles both. And so Paul's statement of, of God being the Father isn't just a generic statement. Oh, God is sovereign and Lord over everything. It's a relational term, a personal term. To say someone's your father is to describe a connection, Typically by by blood, but it, it describes a connection, a dependency, a relationship. God has a fatherly relationship, even to non-Jewish people. In other words, and and this is a glorious thing. It's already a glorious thing that God would have a personal relationship with anyone. After all, He could very well imagine, and there were some um, uh, in a, in. Called Deus, who basically believe that the God sort of set the world in motion and then took a step back and is just watching things unfold. He's impersonal. He doesn't interfere. He doesn't get involved. He just started it up, winded it up. Sometimes call it, they call it the, the watchmaker God. He just wound it up like a watch, and he just sets it on the table and lets the universe run its course. It doesn't do anything to interact with it. That's not God as a father. It's already glorious that He is not distant and impersonal, that he chooses to be a father, a personal God at all. But Paul is once again marveling that God in his kindness, in his mercy, in his grace would even call himself a father to sinners, to rebels, to those like the prodigal son who reject God as creator, Lord father. And not only when his own children, the Israelites rejected him, did he love them, but that God in his infinite love would include people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, of all people, including Gentiles. That's something that Paul wants to base his prayers on, is thinking of that picture of who God is. And a lot of this, at least for me, reading, reading through this, is saying, how do I even communicate kind of these attributes of, of God or that overwhelming sense of who God is? And, and I realize exactly why Paul has to pray it for people because I can sit up here and say, this is amazing and incredible, but it's like uh, some commercials really don't appeal to you at all when you're watching them, but some, you're like, I gotta have that product. And it's something, you know, your, your wife or someone sitting next to you is like, I have no idea why that would interest you at all. But you are just, you know, you get it. Like, you need that thing. It's, I feel like that sometimes. And, um, and maybe you felt that way with unbelieving friends or coworkers. Like, why are you not as excited about this as I am? And that's why Paul has to pray this. Because he can say all that he did in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and non-Christians read it, and it's flat. There's nothing. It's not interesting. That's why Paul has to pray. You, God, you need to be the one to open eyes and hearts, hearts here. But doesn't absolve us from either A, praying, or B, preaching. So what Paul says next then, after just marveling at God as, as father of, 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 of every father, you could say, he says that according to the riches of his glory, may he grant you. And he's going to say the prayer request. According to the riches of So, not only is God the Father the father of all, but He is a gloriously rich father. And so when you're asking from him, you're asking from a gloriously rich or a rich in glory, I should say. Father, The word riches has come up a lot, actually, and we've talked about it a lot. Paul's almost obsessed with the idea of God's riches. You see it in chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts, and this was the prayer, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance In the saints, chapter 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Verse 7, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Remember, we said that Paul was privileged to have the task of preaching the unpreachable. How do you preach unsearchable riches? But this word comes up over and over again, and, and you know, you know that this is not about money or earthly treasures or riches. It's, you know, the Lord really needs to help us here. Beat us out of our head that what we treasure is not stuff. It's not things. It's not even privileges and prestige. We have such a backward sense of what true riches are and what it is to be truly rich person. When you go back and look at the things that God is rich in, he's rich in grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. You could be a bajillionaire in love and grace and mercy. That's attainable. You're probably never going to be a billionaire in this room. Uh, Well, I almost hope you don't because the, the kind of thing ruins you. Right? But you can be a trillion, gajillionaire in, ri- in, in love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness. But, you know, test your hearts which would you rather be rich in? Like, practically speaking, what kind of choices do you make to show what you actually treasure? God's storehouses in heaven. They're not full of coins and trinkets, paintings. The streets of heaven are gold. What does that mean? <laughs> How much do you think about concrete and asphalt? Well, we just had, I don't know if you noticed, our asphalt just got repaved. We thought, we thought about it a lot <laughs> in our elder community, So we do, but you probably don't. You don't think about it. You probably didn't even notice until I said it. Now you're going to go look, and there's a decent job but how much do you think about concrete or asphalt and think, wow, whoever has all this concrete is really rich. I mean, the streets in heaven are gold. I mean, it's just, we, we have this so, so messed up. I almost, so some commentators, like, you know, using the word riches almost gives you the wrong idea. And so they say, how about like wealth? You know, it maybe captures the idea of, Better, But you just have to think about it and just try to separate that. It's so hard in the materialistic world that we live in, this Western, very rich world, to separate the idea of riches and money. And you probably have to do it every single day of your life to try and keep separating that because we make such a close correlation to it. You think riches, you're going to think money. I mean, it's like word association. But Paul is not thinking that way at all when he uses this word refer to God. He's thinking of spiritual riches, spiritual treasure, and he's making a request in proportion to those riches of God's glory. Whatever he is asking for, he's asking in proportion to how rich God is in his glory. Well, how much riches of glory does God have? A little bit? No, so much. You can't even really fathom the idea. God's riches has nothing to do with personal wealth on this side of heaven. A completely different kind of accounting needs to be used. It's almost blasphemous to compare the intangible glory and worth of God to money and possessions because his glory the riches of his glory is demonstrated in every atom and molecule and quark in every mountain and waterfall the design of every creature from human beings to the smallest one-celled organisms the harmony of music the, the brilliant arts the 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 physical capabilities and we see. I mean, we can appreciate sports and all those things. Even the very idea that this world has meaning and purpose. All of that is riches and glory that are priceless. God is full of that. And Paul is saying, so knowing that you have that God, I am making this request. Paul is going to ask something in proportion to God's riches and glory. So it must be something so important, so necessary, so so, uh, uh, rich (laughs) of a request. And what does he ask? He asks that we might have the strength Again, to know the unknowable and be filled with the, I wanted to say unfillable, but uh, I mean, it's more like filled by the infinite. Next time, you know, when I finish the sermon, I think of a better catchier way to do that, then I'll let you know. But um, the idea is, God, help these people to know something that they, they cannot fully know and to be filled with something that... Is eternal. There's um, there's a field of study of knowledge or how we know things. It's called epistemology. Okay, epistemos is a Greek word for for knowledge, and it's it's basically the philosophy of like knowing things and and how we know things and how we understand things. I mean, you can, I don't want to go down a very you know deep rabbit hole philosophically, but the fact that you can even know things, it's kind of amazing. You can kind of like understand facts and put them together. You can store information in your head, and you can call them up, and you can apply them to your life. I mean, don't take any of that for granted. Um, the animal kingdom, they, they do something similar, but not to anywhere near the degree that humans do this. Now, now think about this. Like, think about what you know. Do you even know how much you don't know? Right? And if you've found this to be the case, I found it to be the case as I get older, the more you know, the less you realize you know. Right? I mean, that's sort of some of the like epistemological like problems, you know, philosophically. Now, God. <laughs> infinite and eternal, how could you possibly? How would you even know that you're on the right path to knowing God, right? He's infinite, he's eternal. That's why uh, Paul has to pray to God that this would be possible, right? That's why he has to, Lord, give us strength to do this. And who has to give us that strength? God himself, the Holy Spirit. That he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Based on the riches of your glory, God, strengthen us with power. The word for power in Greek is dunamis, and we get our English words dynamic, dynamite, dynamo. From this word. It is the power that enables you to do something. Not explode (laughs) necessarily, but power to get things done, to move mountains, which is originally what dynamite was for, was to to move mountains. The word for strengthen has more of maybe your traditional, you know, picture of of, uh, someone working out at a gym and getting their body um strengthen and stronger and by using both of these words paul is imagining that our inner being in literally in in greek that's the inner man the inner person who you are spiritually regardless of how you know how many muscles you have and and what your bmi is and all of that that your inner man your inner person would be strengthened spiritually for the purpose of doing something absolutely extraordinary. And what's that most extraordinary thing that you can do? To know God, <laughs> to be filled with the un- uh, infinite. How does that strengthening happening happen? Third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit must do this. And if you already kind of caught it as I read it, once again, we see the Trinity. I-, I think we've seen it two or three times already at this point. The Trinity at work. And again, we made the statement before how Paul almost treats it casually. He doesn't, each time he brings up the Trinity, get into a whole theological disputation of uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the, you know, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, and all this stuff. He doesn't get into it. He just kind of takes it casually like you would know. Oh, yeah, you know, God exists in three persons that are equal in, in nature, and yet distinct in their personhood, blah, blah, blah. Like, you, you know that, right? He just takes it as a casual thing almost. He just brings it up. But here we see the Father, we see the the spirit, and then we are going to see in verse seventeen next time we see the son all there, just just almost casual now just by way of quick review we God the Father is kind of the God that is the over us you could say he's the one that um, is uh, is creator, he's the one that is is uh, is you know, ordaining things and, and relating to us, telling us what to do, but he is, he's over us, you could say, just like your, your, your dad was kind of over you, and um, you know, it was on a different level than you. God the Son. Jesus Christ. Remember at Christmas time? His name is Emmanuel. It's just kind of a, a title for him, and Emmanuel literally means God with us. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who came, who came down to us as one of us to dwell among us, to bear with us, and to save us as one of us. He is the God with us. The Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, is God within us, who dwells in our spirit, in our being somehow uh, I, I it's 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 not like a like you know possession or anything like that, but somehow miraculously god's spirit, if you 're a christian is is dwelling together with us and in us, and one of his many many ministries is to give us spiritual strength i can't help but think of Samson in the Old Testament who had physical strength, right, to do all these great feats and you sort of marvel at the things that he did. But as far as the Bible really as a whole is concerned, the physical strength is almost nothing in comparison to spiritual strength. And so Paul asks that the Father might grant that we would be strengthened by the Spirit, meaning It's something God gives. God must give. It's based on his riches of his glory. But in other words, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would do this. You need to pray for God to grant that his spirit would strengthen the person sitting next to you in the pew. You need to pray for God to grant the strength to know God, to know the unnoble, to your children, your neighbor, your pastors. We need to pray this for each other because we, in our own strength, cannot know God. Because how could you possibly, in your own Finiteness and your own limited personhood and your frail. I get, I've had a lot of brain fog the past couple weeks. I've been, I was sick the third time this week in six weeks. I don't know how, but just like three distinct kinds of illnesses I've for sure had. So I've had brain fog and kind of remembering things uh, a little bit wrong as I was, you know, writing this uh, sermon. there's places where I would repeat myself. Like, if I had to re- depend on me to know God, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm a very, I'm not the most educated person. I don't have the biggest brain in the church or in my school or anything like that, in my seminary. But what this does is is say that all that is required is your dependency on God. Does he have the riches? Yes, he does, absolutely. He can can grant this request, but are you going to be dependent enough by faith to ask? And not just for yourself, but here, I mean, Paul is asking this for other people. It strips us of our own dependence on our own strength our own thinking, our own understanding to say that God in the strength of your power by your Holy Spirit's work in my life enable me to be able to understand you. And this equalizes and humbles everyone. I and mean, again, we've got the kids here and the adults here. Yet we all need to ask the same God and Father for the strength to know Him and understand Him. And that's I think, a really wonderful thing. Um, Like I said in the beginning, that was a a genuine, like, comforting thought (laughs) this week. You know, Paul had to pray this way. I'm sure he wanted people to pray for him in the same way, that God would grant him the strength to understand God. There's a there's a, a certain relief to think, I don't need to try and get people on board. We, we sometimes talk about this in the elder meetings. How, how can we you know, get people excited about the Word of God and about serving Him, about knowing Christ and, and living out the gospel? And Paul is saying, that task is so inordinately large and huge. You got to ask God <laughs> to do it. Well, that's a relief. And that's something I need to rem- remind myself of many, 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 many times. Because what is the task? And we're just going to tease it today because we've got communion in just a moment. The task is that Christ might dwell in your hearts, right? And that you might... Be able to comprehend. So every every term here are terms that are intended to say stretch your brain. Like you know, <laughs> get to it next time. Like to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And what's your immediate question of what <laughs> the the dimensions of what you want me to comprehend? The dimensions of what here? Right? There's no like object to the 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 breadth and length and height of and he doesn't say because he means like everything (laughs) that you might comprehend everything about everything because everything is about God. You need strength to do that. You can't you can't do that. It's it's just an amazing thought. And then to know. Something that surpasses knowledge. What is that? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, we'll close, we'll close with this because I, I will launch into that sermon, but it would be another you know, hour or something. Think of it this way. When was the last time that prayer made you just spiral into thinking deep, and profound, and wonderful, and soul-searching things about God. If you feel like your prayer life is, is sort of flat, or you find yourself, the majority of my prayer is really just asking for things, maybe it's because we don't really know God. We're not really making God the goal of our prayer which is the entire point of Paul's prayers. His priority is when he prays is that people would know God. Doesn't mean, for example, that you, you don't pray for people that are sick. But what should you pray, pray behind that or pushing that? And it's just an example. I'm just trying to apply this. Because I, I feel this way. Again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on prayer. I last person needs to tell you something about prayer, but just based on on this, you know, someone is sick. How do you turn that into a prayer that they would know God? Lord, teach them in this time to to trust in you, to find their hope and comfort in you. I, I do pray that they would be healed, but more importantly, that through this experience, they might cry out to you. They might grasp you, more, have a little more insight. Don't waste this illness. Let it be a chance for, for them to know God, for the people around that person to know God. I love prayers for, for travel mercies. Um, <laughs> I, just think, you know, was, I think it was Christmas time, either Thanksgiving or Christmas. And uh, just before we're about to go to Catherine's uh, parents' place in, in uh, Wildemar, um, this is when Anna was like pretty little. She was playing with something that had batteries, right? Little triple A's. One of the batteries disappeared. Like, oh, no, did she eat a battery? And so, you know, you got to Google it. Like, what happens if a kid eats a battery? What are the signs that a kid eats a battery, right? And so, you know, we're kind of, like, sort of panicking about that. Um, (laughs) And we decided, you know, we're just going to go. We're just going to go. And, like, at that age, like, like, 70% of the time, we get in the car with Anna, and this is true with, with all of our kids, in a long trip, they're going to throw up anyway. It's like, you know, if a kid throws up, throw up the batteries. You know, long trip, right? So, like, tra- traveling mercies for families, which will do a lot of praying for that, and flying by, you know, uh, flying in a plane and all those things, those are great. Um, and I think we, we should pray for those situations because you can pray for anything. But, you know, sometimes God has a purpose for you to get a flat tire, Or that your flight is delayed. Why does everything, why does a prayer have to be that everything goes our way, in other words? Rather than, Lord, we pray that, you know, we'd have a good vacation with our family, it'd be an opportunity to share life and get to to know what's going on in the life of my cousin or my aunt, to to have a chance to share the gospel if they're not Christian, or to share things uh, in the Lord together if they are. We pray for divine appointments on the way, and yes, I don't want anyone to get an accident on the way. Sometimes that's what God wants, because His ultimate goal is not that you would get to any place safe. It isn't. His goal is that you would know Him. And so, Lord, if if it's your will, we get there safely. If not, help us to trust you and know your plans and purposes for us are good. Does that make sense? The goal, this is a very heavy prayer that he's praying, and it's about knowing God. And I think if we want to disciple even our kids and others when we pray, we ought to make knowing God the focus of our prayers for other people too, not just essentially Lord, I pray that we get what we want and we never have to suffer. You know how God sometimes teaches us to know Him better it's when things don't go your way and you're not very comfortable. So, just one application I thought of there. We we'll, we'll keep mining this this passage. Um, we got tremendous things. Ahead of us, but I hope, at the very least, as we think about this, if that seems overwhelming, I don't pray like that. I don't think like that. I can't do that. That's fine. Pray that God will grant you the strength. It just—we're all on the same page here, all right? You feel like your prayer life is up here; it's down here. We're on the same page here. Uh, If you think your prayer life is great, I hope you're not saying, "Oh yeah, I I know the unknowable now, and I'm filled with the infinite." Uh, You know, we're all the same. We. We've got a long ways to go in knowing God. So we're all on the evil, even playing field. Don't feel bad about your, your prayer life. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Instead, if you feel like, yeah, things, things could be better, start praying that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being to know God. And ask people to pray that for you too. That would be an application too. Maybe you know someone. You can offer, can I pray for you? That God will grant you to know him more. That'd be a wonderful gift to give this Christmas as well. So, we'll stop there uh, for now. Let me pray, and then we'll have our time of of communion. Heavenly Father, I I do thank you again for um, this this message through Christ, and again, Jews, Gentiles, we can have you as our Father through Christ who died and shed his blood for us. Such Such a truth that bent Paul's heart towards you in every situation and circumstance. We want that same. And Lord, I do pray that you would grant us as a church, Irvine Community Church, each one who's come here this morning, and each one who is at home and listening to this or on the road or whatever it is, that you might grant them by your Spirit's power, the strength to comprehend that which cannot be comprehended, your love for us to be filled by that which is infinite, internal, you, of course that's impossible. That's why it has to be of God. That's what we're about. So thank you, Lord, that we can trust you for that. Thank you, Lord, for those in our life that you've put who who demonstrate that priority to and help us all together to grow um, in our love for you, our love for each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna close um, by singing, there is a fountain filled with blood as we prepare our hearts for